0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible, and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. So what does it mean to grow in Christ? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, as we go and start to unpack this, as I was talking uh, to the children, one of the challenges we have is how do we measure that? That's why I brought it out with the kids, like, do we measure growth in Christ with measuring tapes? Well, the kids thought if you do it maybe from head to toe, uh, that was going to be better than my shoulder-to-shoulder approach. Uh, but one thing I recall, I was at the Merrick School of Business in, in the University of Baltimore uh, before going into ministry, and they were talking about different business strategies and approaches to move forward, and they talked about SMART goals. How many of you heard of SMART goals before? Yeah, A couple of people have heard about them. If you haven't, don't worry. It's pretty simple to understand. A SMART goal, uh, and they may define it slightly different, but you'll get as it moves forward. A SMART goal should be specific. It should be measurable. It should be assignable, relevant, and it should be time-based. So a SMART goal is when you could actually manage it. You could actually give it to people. You could track it. You could find out. So what about this growth in Christ stuff? Can we make growth in Christ a smart goal? Can we make it specific? Can we make it measurable? Can we make it assignable? Like, hey, you guys have to do five of these, and if you do four of these, and, well, we have to make it relevant, so we should make it sound just like everything else going around in the world. Does that sound good? I know, a couple of you cringing, you're going, maybe, maybe the smart goal thing isn't the best for us to look to. So how is it that we measure? See, this is the challenge of growth in Christ. The challenge of growing in Christ or spiritual maturity is there's no easy way to shape it. And I can't look and say, oh, you're a a Christian 2.0. You're a Christian 740. Oh, you're a negative 6. Now, you kind of chuckle a little, but there is no measuring stick like that. The Bible doesn't have any description of what that is. I mean, the one description that probably troubles a lot of you is it says faith like a... A mustard seed and then most of us thought well I was hoping to have like a sunflower seed size or maybe I could be like a pumpkin seed size but I just if I had a mustard seed I'd be moving mountains so well how big does that make my faith I mean we just as human beings we get wrapped up in how much do I have or how little do I have well we're going to go into our epistle lesson this morning which is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and he's asking this question of them he's talking about how are they growing what's happening in their lives I don't know if you know, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which we hear about his experiences there in Acts 18, 19, and 20. He spends three years in Ephesus. Of all the mission congregations he goes to, he spends more time in Ephesus than any other mission congregation. And he writes the letter to the church in Ephesus about five years after he's been there. So I share this with you so as you hear the text this morning, realize this is a man who knows this congregation. He knows them. He wants the best for them. So if you would, uh, turn with me, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. So we step into Paul, writing to a church he was at for three years. It's about five years later. So imagine you've been somewhere for three years, and you write back to check in on those you knew. You'd probably have a lot you want to hear. There's stuff you'd want to know. And we're reading this in light of what does it look like to grow in Christ, which is exactly what he is writing to them about. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the, their hardness of heart. A couple things we need to unpack as we go into this passage. First off, we have this challenging thing where he's talking about Gentiles. Now, some of you are like, well, I thought Paul was the one who spoke to the Gentiles. So it seems like he's kind of speaking down the Gentiles. I thought he was speaking to them. Well, he's using this language to remember the world was divided into two major things. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. So as he writes to the Ephesians, he writes and says, don't slip back into what we know the Gentiles did. You can be a Gentile who's in Christ, but he's writing and saying, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So he's not using Gentiles here to talk about those who are in Christ. He's using Gentile to say all those who do not know the promise. Because remember, the big description of Jewish in the Old Testament was, these were the people of the promise. They were supposed to bring the promise of who Christ is, who Christ was going to be, and what he would be. They now know that in full as Paul lives. Jesus has now walked on the earth. So when he talks about Gentiles, he's saying the futility of people who are living life without any knowledge that God made the earth, that God desires to see the earth be restored, and that God is with those who call upon him every single day of every single hour. Now, for some of you, you can recall a time in your life where you had not Christ. You could recall a time where you had no experience of who Christ was, or you heard of him, but he wasn't an active part of your life, and you can sit there and say, yeah, you know what? Before Christ, I get what Paul's pointing to. I understand futility when I had not Christ to guide me and direct me. He says of them, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. That's not a nice thing to say, is it? When's the last time someone called you ignorant and you said, thank you? Did you know ignorant actually isn't a terrible thing to be called? Like, we just assume that it's a bad thing. Ignorant just means you don't, it just means you don't know. How many of you could build a bridge that a car could drive over safely for 10 years? Congratulations, you are all. And you're okay with that, right? Yeah, see, so I just share with you. So do realize this is an airliner from life because they were ignorant. They had no understanding. So, he's not trying to say the Gentiles are t- he just says they're ignorant of it. But you, Ephesians, don't chase after what they have and go, but it looks really nice to not have God because I like what they have. This is the whole shiny next door neighbor, right? Ooh, I like what they have. Ooh, that's really nice. You don't know what they actually have. You just saw that you think it's shiny. Uh, it may just be a complete deceit to you. And then he uses this language that's very interesting due to the hardness of their hearts. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 6, and who else was described as having hard hearts? You remember? The disciples, the disciples had hard hearts, which again was tough there because when we looked at it a few weeks ago, your first move on hard heart, normally for those who have the Bible, you hear hardened heart, you move to Pharaoh. I mean, that's the most common because you hear, hey, when the 10 plagues, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. But now we've got Mark 6 saying disciples had a hardened heart. Now you've got here Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and saying, hey, these Gentiles, they've got hardened hearts that without God in their life, they have No desire whatsoever to grow in the knowledge of God because they actually have become set up in who they are. They've become hard, something that bangs up against who they are. Verse 19 continues on that same theme of growing a hard, what would be something we'd say? You play guitar, they talk about you gaining your calluses. Now, why do you get a callus? Yeah, because you're rubbing against the strings, you're sitting there. Why do you get a callus for anything? Because you've done. You can get calluses for lots of things. Any of you ever like work in the yard a lot, or ever carry ropes or do anything? You'll get calluses across your hand. Different. I mean, different things will all cause this. Do a lot of. You'll get a callus. Now, calluses can be great, but they can also be kind of bad. Paul then uses that same. He says they have become callous. Now, Paul doesn't say they've become calluses. I know that. But he's actually using it. I wanted to lead you there. He says they've become callous. They've become hardened to what God's doing. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Could you imagine a culture that's given itself up to sensuality? The desire that it would just want to chase what it wants, when it wants, how it wants it, the way it wants it? Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you to your very own life. Which is crazy. This had to be preached almost 2,000 years ago and it still needs to be preached today which either means we've got some really bad preachers, or it turns out this thing that makes us callous and turn over to sensuality is so alive in our lives that you could hear a sermon preached every single day and somehow it would still pull against you. And I would suggest to you it's the latter. There have been a lot of great preachers. But this thing that pulls on us, that gets us to chase sensuality, is so hard to identify because we call it different things. We don't call it sensuality. We call it achievement advancement, growth. I now have wealth, resources. You can name it all types of different things, but if it doesn't have your life centered in Christ, then indeed it is having you chase after sensuality. They become callous, give themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Paul just wrote to these people and said, I was with you three years. (laughs) And what I'm hearing now, you're not chasing your first love anymore. You're chasing something else. It's not how we taught you Christ. We said Christ was the center, and now you've got other things. Greeds come in, sensuality. We like to think that we've got it all figured out. There's one thing I've learned in life. Each generation thinks they've got it right. They really do. When you were a teenager and you watched adults and you were going to start your new career, you were convinced that you were going to do it better than the people before you. It's actually a necessary part of being human, I would suggest. Because if not, if you were as beaten down as some people when they're a little bit older in their careers, how excited would you be to start out a 40- or 50-year career? Well, going off to work. Instead, you see a 20-year-old who does what? Take on the world, man. I'm going to knock it all down. I'm going to set it all back up the way I dream it and envision it. Now, a 40-year-old can do this, an 80-year-old can do it. I'm not saying it's limited by age, but I'm sharing with you how this unfolds is it happens in our spirituality as well. But sometimes we identify with the wrong thing and we get wrapped up with the wrong audience. So what about those SMART goals? Can we do smart goals for growing here as a congregation? As we grow in Christ, can we assign everything out? Can we make it very specific? Hey, Jordan needs to specifically get this item at this time so we can build this and then grow in Christ and we need more people to open the Bible. And if we get 80 Bible opens a day, that will uh, relate to like 14 great experiences. So if over a week we could get 80 Bible opens, now we're at 400 Bible, can we do that? Is that a good idea? So you guys don't like this. So the smart goal thing seems to not be where it is. Instead, a more common piece for growing in Christ is what even appears in our 10-year blueprint, of which I'm not opposed to. But in the blueprint, at one point, it mentions as we move forward as a congregation, uh, it says that in a couple of years, hey, we may actually expand and bring in a director of Christian education or bring in some other church worker. That's a great thing. You know the challenge with bringing in other church workers is for a congregation? Some of you went right to money, which is not, it's not false. That's true. I get that. You know what the bigger challenge is? You are then convinced that the church is a professional church working world. And you forget that church work is not actually done by professional church workers. It is done by every single person in a congregation. And that to actually grow in Christ, who's got to do the growing? I'll wait. I know. You said it right. Don't worry. You said it right. Yeah, you said it right. I'm, I'm with you. A couple of you holding out. Like I could wait. It'll be this awkward pause in the audio online. All of us. So the idea that it's just one person, so when we have the questions of how is it that we would expand and get more people into Christian education, which may or may not be Sunday morning. Some people, Sunday morning is not their thing. We've had over 50 people a week engaged in our small groups this summer. Now, if you consider a congregation that has 100, 110, 120 on a Sunday, about half the congregation is engaged every single week. I mean, I know this sounds depressing to some of you if you've never heard church stats. That's awesome. Some of you are like, no, it's not. Okay, I've become callous to the idea that that actually is awesome. So I get that that's awkward in this church world, but to have that high an engagement. But we've got to make sure that we're continuing to grow. Because some of you are sitting there I'm not content with just that number. I didn't say I was contented with it. I'm excited. I'm encouraged that we have a church that wants to do that, but it's not going to be answered by let's hire someone else. Because the moment you hire someone else, which we may need to do in the future, I look forward, I do, I look forward to be awesome. But the moment you do that, everyone's going to go, well, what can we unload on them? Really, not what could we expand. I, I, I guarantee you, if we have that season, that will be a statement, but it'll be said cryptically now because I preached the sermon. Uh, pastor, how could we strategically use them more effectively so that we might expand our ministry and free me up to be more of a mother or father in my family, which cryptically just means, what can I unload? Instead of how can they step alongside me and we can actually impact more people, impact more nations, actually grow in Christ, embrace his word more fully. But that's not always where we align. Paul continues verse 23, and he says this Be renewed in the spirits of your mind. So he says, You've been callous. You've got this ignorance. He says, Be renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you want to grow in Christ, you have to put on the new self daily. Because each and every day, the world's going to grab you and pull you back. It will. And that world, you're in it. So part of the thing pulling you away from Christ is you. This is the tension of being a Christian, this side of Christ's glorious return. I know I'm in Christ now, but I also know sensuality looks, if you're honest, what? It looks, come on, it looks good. It looks really good. How many of you ever had a new car? And one you liked? Don't tell me about the one you didn't like. say, oh, Pastor, I did, but I didn't like it. No, no, I mean like the one you really, really liked. And it was awesome. Be honest. Yeah, it was great. How many of you were given a real big check one point in your life? And you could have been 10, so you got $20. I mean, trust me, it was just big for you. And you thought to yourself, yeah. Doesn't matter what it was. man. when you were like 10 years old and someone gave you a 5, you were like, Lincoln. Yeah. Now, I realize today you're all like, Lincoln. I know. It's called inflation. I get that. But to realize greed's real. And it grabs hold of us unless we keep putting on the new self. To grow in Christ is to let Christ flow over you every day. That we might grow in holiness. And to do that, we've got to invite God every day to help us look differently. The challenge, though, is are we willing to grow? Because growing's not easy. Any of you ever try to build something in your life? Could have been an airplane, bookshelf, car, anything rebuild a lawnmower, I mean, you name it, build a cake, build a dinner. Now, trust me, you've all built something. Build a bowl of cereal. I'm trying to bring everybody along here. Like. <laughs> I know a couple of you are like, no, I can't do anything. So with cereal, a Pop-Tart, anyone try to warm a Pop-Tart? Okay, yeah. A couple of you are frowning. You're like, yeah, I wasn't good at that either. So, Pastor, don't, I'm not your guy for, for the 26 making dinner. Don't worry, we got that taken care of. Growing's not easy. 'Cause there's some challenges along the way. But if you ever tried to make a meal, try to build something, you get it wrong, the neat part is the next time you do it you learned. It's not fun when you get it wrong. It just isn't. But you get so much smarter when you do something wrong. I'm not asking my pastor said go do wrong things. No, 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 no. You <laughs> misunderstood it. Like this is the whole like if you if you pull the excerpt, that's a bad No. But God's inviting you to live life. And God's inviting you to say, I will be with you every day. I will allow you to put back on my righteousness if you get into a problem, if you find yourself lend over to sensuality, if greed grabs a hold of you, if something pulls you apart. To grow in Christ is a daily movement. And that movement says things have to look different. To grow in Christ means Christ now has all of you. This is... I think, where it gets more difficult. Grow in Christ, yes, pastor, attend more church, yes, pastor. I should go to Sunday school, yes, pastor, attend your new members class. Yes, I've done the things you've asked. If you think that I am the sole source of how you grow in Christ, then you are completely misunderstanding how much God cares about you. I mean, I couldn't write you enough emails to tell you how much God cares about you and loves you and wants you to be involved with him and what he is doing and ways he would care for you to move forward. See, as Paul moves forward in Ephesians 4, he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths? None. Don't raise your hands, but I guarantee you, you would be blown away if everyone were to acknowledge if they have engaged in corrupting talk of any sort this past week. Any sort. Paul's claim to the church was, God owns you. Stop it. It's over. You've got to leave that behind. Yeah, I know, but I really needed to share an opinion about what I thought about that person. Did you? Who Who benefited? Well, it, it let people know what I was doing. I needed, to, I needed to compare and contrast. It was, it was about helping others to grow so they'd know not what to do, really, or was it just to make you look good? Was it about you wanting to look better? Let no corrupting talk come on your minds, but only such as is good for building up. Well, you all again just save. I save you time every week. No need to watch the news tonight because most of it will be corrupting talk. So you're good. There you go. So just. Leave it behind. You've got more time to be with your family. So families, if you said, I don't have time, I can't engage, then put your phone down. You know who else is guilty of using his phone too much? This guy. I don't know why the Lord's put this in my heart. It is, I am really fed up with devices. They're ripping families apart. Ripping them apart. But we think we're connecting. Really? How many of you ever felt closer to someone who texted you? Girl, that text was awesome. If that's where your relationship is, just so you know, shut it down. You don't need that. But it happens other ways too, right? Social devices are easy to talk about. Work could be your problem. You work too much. You know what else could be your problem? You don't work. And you might think it's the other. Isn't that funny? I work too much, and your boss is going, hmm, about that. God actually lets you be a part of this thing. So it's not, some of you are like, oh, this is great. Pastor's hitting all my bullet points. This is great. I feel good until that last one. That wasn't much fun. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants you to be the next person in line to share Christ and to grow. But most of us instead would say, well, let's hire someone. Let's get a professional. You know what, Pastor? If we could just get a building and get out of this theater, then Jordan Lutheran Church will grow. Trust me, the next couple of weeks, I think, are going to be real exciting. I do. God's got some neat things. Land acquisition team's finding stuff we'd love to share. We'll let you know more as we hear. But just to share with you, don't for a minute think that somehow getting land or a building is going to make you a different person in Christ. Because if we get land and a building, guess who's going to get to do the work? Okay, what, really, only one person smiled. Like, this is really sad. Like, I mean it. Like, if you could sit here, like, one person's like, yeah. Everybody else is like, whoa. We yeah, I mean, we all are. But it's just funny. If we just get it, then we'll have it. Ladies and gentlemen, you got it right now. Like, you have a space. I'm excited where God's taking us, but just don't miss out on what God's doing. To grow in Christ means it's growing when? Growing now. God didn't say, man, you know, you can only grow a certain amount and then then you're stuck. No, God said you can grow and you can grow and you can grow so that we might be no longer grieving the Spirit, no longer holding back but letting Him push us forward as He concludes I writing this morning to be imitators of God. That's what we are. We're imitators. You know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Nothing would please God more than you to echo what God has put on your heart, that you might start repeating the scriptures because it tells God you love what he loves. If you start loving your family, you're loving his people. You start loving your neighbors, you're loving his people. You start caring more for creation, you're caring for what God made. God lays claim to all of us. He's inviting you to be a part of what he is doing. How many of you have ever been horseback riding? First time I went horseback riding, and of course it was the whole trail ride kind of thing, right? So I sat there, and they they get up, and they give you instructions, and you're convinced that you're a genius now because you've received two minutes of horseback riding instruction. You don't realize the horse is the genius, and you're the fool. Uh, But you get up on the horse, and I'm like, I got it. Get the reins, and I'm ready, and I hold them tight. I'm going to teach this horse where to go. And the horse is like, oh, great, another fool. Horses like, this rides over in 45 minutes. I can make it. But you hold the reins tight, and you sit there, and you pull it in, and you're all tight. I would suggest to you we do this in our own lives in Christ as well. We understand who Christ is. We've got this. We're excited. We're energized. Then we grab hold of the reins. We say, God, I got it because I, I'm, I'm set free in Christ, and I have the reins, and I'm going to direct this thing. If you want to grow in Christ, I'd suggest don't let go of the reins. Just release some of the pressure because the moment you actually release the pressure on a horse, you know what it does? Well, the first thing it does is what? Most of you have ridden a horse. <laughs> oh, man, thanks. I mean, it doesn't say thanks. Trust me, this isn't like Mr. Ed the horse. Uh, but it actually just breathes a little and goes, man, this is cool. And you know what else also happens if you've ever ridden a horse? The ride smooths out. The horse is like, all right, we get you each other now. You get that I just want to take my pace, and I get that you want to ride. If you want God to stop kicking you, then stop kicking God. God may be directing you in a way he wants you to grow. Walk through the door. Let God take you there. This congregation has limitless possibilities. We just got to stop kicking at God saying God can't do. God can do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. And his spirit says, stop grieving me. I'm here for you. I want you to grow. Because I've paid the price. I want you to reap the reward. And we put on that new Christ, that new self each and every day. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the Peak of Good Living, Apex, North Carolina.